Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for joining us on one of the 42 radio stations on iTunes or on YouTube or on the show website, CREshow.com. Well, we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about mixed-use developments. You know, it really seems that mixed-use developments are all the rage with uh, empty nesters, with millennials, uh, with everyone as we're trying to get out of our cars, right, and make life more convenient. Well, please welcome my first guest. It's Nick E. Jelanian. He is president with SiteWorks, and they're headquartered in Maryland. He joins us on Skype. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. Nick, you work with retailers, you work with developers. To start us out, just how popular are mixed-use developments with landlords, with tenants, compared to traditional retail these days? Well, I, I wouldn't say they're more popular compared to traditional retail. What I would say is that they are the most popular new development format today. Traditional retail, is, there's hundreds of millions of square feet of it still out there and it's still very popular. But in terms of development opportunities today, it's probably the, the hot spot. Right. And we're talking about mixed-use development today. So which types of retail do you see that are most prominent and, and work well and do the best in mixed-use developments? Uh, as you know, Mike, I, I tend to uh, separate retail into what I call commodity and specialty. And um, uh, clearly, it's specialty retail that is most adaptable to uh, that type of environment. Right. And tell us about these uh, types of retailers. So you have the commodity retail, and you're there, you're talking more of the necessity type retail, right? Yeah, so in necessity retail, the customer is most interested in the mix of price and convenience that delivers the goods that they use on a regular basis most efficiently for them. In specialty retail, it's completely different. It's all about uh, spending their discretionary time and discretionary income. And so in that type of a situation, they're much more interested in how the entire experience feels to them and they judge it by really how happy or how satisfying it is at the end. So mixed-use environments are very conducive to that. Now, you would think if you're a resident in a mixed-use development, you'd like to have some of that necessity retail around you. But are you telling us that the, if you're a necessity retail uh, retailer, I admit mixed-use aren't your first choice. You'd rather be on some corner somewhere. Well, it's, like the devil's in the detail. There, there, mm -hmm. there, are, um, there are successful uh, commodity retail concentrations in mixed-use projects. Mm -hmm. but my experience uh, throughout the country and around the world is that they tend to do better when they're segregated or segmented within the project. So for example, uh, the, the, the customer who's going out to dinner at Main Street within a mixed-use project and three corners of the Main Street are uh, specialty uh, apparel retailers and restaurants doesn't ne don't necessarily get excited about seeing a Walmart or a Target entrance on the fourth corner. On the other hand, they're very happy about having that entrance just around the corner. So it's really about how you present it more than what you're presenting. Okay. And if you will, Nick, tell us about some successful developments that you've seen lately that retail is working well in some of these mixed-use developments. In Atlanta, Georgia, there's one called Avalon. And in Avalon, they've done a wonderful job of creating uh, a mixed-use environment with uh, mostly residential above retail. Uh, they have commodity retail in the form of uh, some furniture stores and a Whole Foods. But those are out in front of the project with ample parking in front of them. And the main street is reserved for, speci for specialty retailers um, and restaurants and a, and a movie theater. What you'll find in Avalon is that the main street is, is beautifully articulated, beautifully detailed. When you walk down it, you really feel like you're on uh, an avenue that's been there for a long time. And when you're shopping the Whole Foods out in front, you feel like it's very convenient to you and gives you what you need at, 
at the speed you need it. So uh, that's one great example. Another great example is in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Federal Realty's Assembly Row, which is the first mixed-use center in the country that has combined off-price retailing or outlet uh, merchandising with the other traditional mix of uses, including residential, office, and uh, in this case, a transit station. Well, that's interesting, and Nick, and talk to us about that a little bit. So I think you think of off-price or value retailers as being these outlet centers, and you don't think about it as much in these mixed-use developments. That you're starting to see that, and, and is that starting to work? That is not only starting to work, but my feeling is that it could become one of the dominant mixed-use formats uh, in the next couple of decades. Uh, the reasons for that are because it's bringing together two or three trends that are converging and allowing it to happen. The first, the first is that uh, up until recently, you really couldn't put that type of apparel retailing uh, so close to a city or in an urban area because it, it competed with the wholesale distribution channels or the retail distribution channels, the full line retail distribution channels of those retailers. Those barriers have largely fallen. Uh, so that's the first reason. The second reason is that retailers are out of traditional places to expand. Uh, if you are a retailer that appeals to the top 10% of uh, the income strata and you want to expand your business and you're in all of the locations where you can do that at, uh, in the top 10%, well, one way to do it is to uh, create a, uh, a uh, outlet line and appeal to another 10, 20, 30%. So uh, we have these things coming together, which, which uh, and lastly, the customer is accepting it. The customer says, it's okay with me. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I think we're all okay uh, walking into a, a value store now, right? Uh, maybe not everybody wants to walk into a dollar store, but they certainly want to walk in and uh, get a great deal on, uh, on, on their clothes, right? Yeah, put it in the perspective of someone who maybe can't afford uh, to buy the full-line Coach product, but can afford to buy a, an outlet version of the project. Well, for them, they're uh, realizing all their aspirations at a reasonable price point. So. Really, it's a win-win for the retailer and the consumer in that case. Right. And Nick, let's talk about uh, some of the more important aspects for retailers. You know, when they're looking at locations, and if you can key more in, in some of these mixed-use developments, what are some key aspects that these retailers are looking for and should consider when they're making these decisions? Well, so when you're in, when you're in uh, commodity retail, you're really just interested about uh, getting uh, your customers in the front door. When you're in a specialty retail environment, or, and particularly in a mixed use, you're interested in aggregating uh, folks around a mix of uses. So uh, retailers, depending on who they are, uh, will want anything from the same kind of center court arrangement that they would have in a, in a mall to something off of that. And um, really the same principles that drove them to seek a center court versus a 30-yard location in a mall, same principles are really at work in mixed use. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about this convergence era that you're talking about where you're kind of mixing uses that maybe weren't as mixed before. Well, now keep in mind that we have a, a parallel development going on in the, in the shopping business, in the retail business that's also part of this. We, we have a 30-year process of the decline of what we now call the B&C malls. Um, and we're really at the last maybe 10 or 20% of that decline. So we're going to see still uh, a large number of B&C malls. These are malls that are doing anywhere from under $100 a square foot to $200 a square foot. They tend to be uh, anchored by Sears, uh, JCPenney, maybe a Macy's, maybe two Macy's, uh, could be a Dillard's. But these are, these are centers that have been declining in volume for some time and are likely to uh, end their useful life sometime in the next 15 to 20 years. 
if you take the number of those around the country, we could be talking hundreds, and and then try to replace the retail square footage. The most likely way for that to happen is to replace it with what I'm calling this convergence era um, uh, outlet merchandising, uh, similar to what was done in Assembly Res. So I think you could see hundreds, hundreds of these done in the next 20 years. So you bring in some more outlet mall type of tenants. Yeah, because today uh, the model has changed from 30 years ago. 30 years ago, in order to drive traffic to a, a central shopping facility, you needed department stores. Well, the very function of the department stores has changed over the 30 years. All of the departments that were in department stores when I was a kid are now in big boxes out on the street. Right. So the outlet format does not require that type of anchoring. And in fact, you now see in mixed-use centers uh, anchoring that's very non-traditional. Outlet uh, soft goods merchandising with uh, everything from movie theaters to uh, experiences like Lego Discovery Zone or Crayola Experience. So I think we're looking at a whole new era of merchandising and mixed use going forward. Give us your one sentence answer to municipalities that want retail in their mixed use, how to do it right. Well, uh, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this, uh, but I'm gonna say it respectfully. <laughs> um, municipalities have very thoughtful and very um, uh, caring planners, but the planners often have adopted uh, a, a concept called new urbanism that forces uh, retail and forces buildings to the street to create uh, walkable places. And that is a very noble uh, goal. But I would say that 75 to 80 percent of the of the projects of that type that I see around the country fail in their very purpose of creating walkability. So I think uh, the, the municipalities need to be disciplined in enforcing creating walkable places, but realistic in where they can happen and recognize that commodity retail is inconsistent with it, while specialty retail is very consistent with it. So if they get a little smarter about where they apply it, I think they'll get much better results and more of what they're looking for. Well said and good advice. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on mixed use developments. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about mixed-use developments. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jerry Hoffman. Jerry is founder of Hoffman Strategy Group. They're headquartered in Lincoln, Nebraska. Jerry, thanks for joining us on uh, Skype today. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. Well, thank you. And, you know, we're talking about mixed-use developments. It seems to be all the rage. It seems like I live in Atlanta, and it seems like that's most of the development we're seeing. We're seeing some still kind of the older traditional uh, retail. So what does the future look like for mixed-use development? I think the future of mixed-use development looks quite bright for really the next generation. And when I say generation, I really view it as the next uh, wave of development for the upcoming uh, 10 to 20 years. And I say that in large measure because single-use retail centers, at least brand new ones under construction, are but a handful since the Great Recession. The most recent one that has opened up since 2009, which is one of the few, is down in Sarasota, Florida. So I think that what is dictated by the market is the 
incorporation of other uses, the non-retail uses, on either existing retail properties. It might be a community or neighborhood mall uh, center. It could be a regional uh, shopping center. And the incorporation of other uses being anything from luxury apartments, multifamily units, some senior housing, hospitality, uh, creative office space, etc. So I really see this as a uh, as an indication that the the markets uh, in in cities across the country are really absorbing the mixed use developments. Yeah, and mixed use is uh, is a really good use for some of these dead malls and uh, underperforming shopping centers, isn't it? It is indeed. And I think for developers and owners of the malls and, and centers, it really offers a way to both broaden the portfolio, diversify the portfolio, if you will, thereby diversifying the income stream so it's not so singularly dependent upon retail sales uh, for um, to be able to withstand the, the changes in, in the market conditions. Right. And what are some of the trends you're seeing of some of these maybe newer tenants coming into mixed-use projects and retail developments? Well, co-working spaces like WeWork, for example, are beginning to appear in many more malls in mixed-use developments, urban mixed-use developments, either downtown or within the central business district. And I think that's indicative of a growing uh, freelance economy that we have in America. Uh, more entrepreneurs, more business startups, both in terms of tech and non-tech companies that are congregating among themselves, if you will, to create a, a kind of business support community or, or business incubator uh, in co-working spaces. I think, too, that mixed-use developments, particularly where there is the incorporation of retail is beginning to show more retail boutiques. These might be local uh, women's apparel boutiques, um, companies that are moving from being online to bricks and mortar, for example, Warby Parker, um, Bonobos, are beginning to identify uh, urban uh, street retail and urban mixed-use centers or projects for their locations. Yeah, and tell our listeners a little bit more about the co-working space. So you're really talking about office space, and is some of this like second floor type uses? Exactly. These are predominantly small footprint offices, uh, whereby if I, as a freelancer, for example, uh, wanted to move from being uh, home-based to a more office setting, would buy a membership or a monthly fee, into a co-working space and either have my own desk, my own office, or I might be able to rent a room on demand, uh, like a conference room to be able to hold video conferences such as this one, uh, or be able to have meetings with clients at a facility that is more uh, professional than than what one might have in their own home. Right. So right. it's really an emerging uh, space in the office uh, assets, yeah. if you will, um, and are found. You find them in in Atlanta and Chicago, L.A. There are right. uh, there's one in the downtown part of Lincoln uh, called Hughes Coworking. So it's it's a real interesting uh, phenomenon, if you will, in terms of how the next generation is really uh, working today. 
Right. And, and we're talking with Jerry Hoffman with Hoffman Strategy Group. And one of the things that you, you guys do is, um, is figuring out where the best locations are, right? Looking at the demographics and, and figuring out where a new mixed development so should go. So if you're, maybe you own a, a, a dead mall or an underperforming shopping center or municipality uh, and you'd like to have more mixed use, what makes a great location? Well, it really depends a large measure on what the consumer profiles are within a given market. I think it's really important that a developer and owner examine the sort of the psychographics, if you will, the how people shop, shopping behavior, lifestyle behaviors, tastes, preferences, etc. And the forecasting of that over uh, five and, and even to, uh, to 10 years more extensively to begin identifying what kind of retail is going to fit best in the market now that it has uh, shifted, uh, what kind of apartments are being demanded by the uh, household renters today, what are the amenities, uh, what kind of experiences are tourists and visitors to a given market uh, wishing to have when they are visiting a, a city. So what does that impact, how does that impact the hospitality industry, the restaurants, the perhaps boutique hotels for a given area? I think it's really important to understand those consumer dynamics and then look at the, the economics of the location itself. Yeah, well, those are good tips because I think people think that, oh, this is a great place for a mixed use, but then it comes down to it. You know, maybe it's not uh, because a lot of things got to come into play, especially with these different users. And you've mentioned hospitality. Give us some tips about incorporating hospitality or not incorporating it in a new mixed use development. Well, one of the things that is important to examine uh, a local market in the context for hospitality development is whether the market will support a limited service hotel, a full service convention style hotel, uh, the, the room sizes, uh, etc. And what kind of amenities, cultural, social, uh, event oriented amenities are either already in place in a given community or a given market or planned to be in place. For example, is there a new arena going into your community or going into the trade area where there will be a host of, of new concert venues. You'll have Pink and Elton John and, uh, and others coming to a community that may not have been there before. And that really is important to identify in order to look at what the arc for hospitality uh, will be for a given market area. Yeah, that's great. And, and Pink and uh, Elton John, or maybe you'll just have Elton John wearing pink. Who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We love Elton. He has one of his homes here in Atlanta, so uh, we can joke about him, right? Well, uh, Jerry, I appreciate you being on the show and joining us on Skype. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Well, thanks, and stay with us. We're going to have more on mixed-use development, including a developer, to get their view on what's happening. Uh, so stay tuned. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. For multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com.
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Boyle, host. Today we're talking about mixed-use developments. Please welcome my next guest. It's Ben Owenell. He's Managing Director with Diversified Development Division of GBT Realty. They're headquartered in Brentwood, Tennessee. Ben, thanks for joining us today. Michael, it's a pleasure. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, we were talking off-air about environmentally conscious and carbon neutral practices in mixed-use developments and other developments how might developers use these types of strategies uh, in their new developments look it's a great question uh, I'm hopeful uh, developers use these more and more and time comes uh, you know the technology out there uh, pleasantly is astounding and I think a lot of people know about it the issue that uh, developers are having and, and speaking uh, you know from uh, from our company's point of view is uh, generally when you're looking at these carbon neutral uh, technologies they're a little bit more expensive so um, we have to look at ways to work together with the planning uh, commission and the and the local councillors to uh, you know look at some uh, zoning uh, things maybe uh, extra height, uh, extra density um, to allow the developers to um, be able to afford these uh, afford these things. Very good. And one of the things that I think some people, my audience may be curious about is these national tenants that are used to maybe more traditional uh, retail developments, how are they reacting to these urban infill and, and mixed-use type developments as related to parking and, and, and smaller footprints for floor and things like that? Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I think uh, the overall reaction is really positive. I mean, at the end of the day, retail uh, wants to be and needs to be where the people are. And the uh, the very clear movement um, is, uh, you know, urban uh, infill planning um, and, uh, and these mixed-use live, work and play development. So uh, we've found in our experience we've had no issues um, renting or leasing uh, our uh retail at the bottom of our mixed use and uh, we work with some uh, national tenants uh, in over 21 states at the moment so we haven't had too many issues with it and I think it's the future. Yeah and I think some of them like the idea of a smaller uh, square footage anyway so uh, but if they can pay more uh, per square foot but get in the location where they can do well. Well let's talk about some of the zoning and entitlement process. You guys are involved in that. How are you finding it with municipalities today? Are you getting the kind of zoning that you, you think you should get for these for these projects? Well I mean it's a, it's an interesting question. Do you ever get the zoning you really want? Um, <laughs> look I think you, you work as, as best you can and we're really lucky in, in Nashville uh, here and uh, that we have some great folks on the uh, Planning Commission and Council uh, that I think are, are flexible and fluid um, but at the same time you know Nashville's a city where neighbourhood committees and neighbourhood associations still have a very large influence and you know urban mixed use uh, dense uh, development uh, is new for Nashville, is new for our neighbourhoods and, and so we're all getting used to each other uh, as we move forward but I think uh, I, I think we're over some hurdles and, and, uh, and we've seen some great results recently. So what would you say to um, planning and zoning officials who you know maybe uh, they'd like to see retail in a certain mixed use development but but a developer, you you guys or someone else realizes, you know what, retail's not going to work well here. How do you educate these guys to have developments that really work for the communities and for them and, and as well as the developer? 
Yeah, look, I think you have to look to the experts. I mean, uh, I'm not an expert in planning and I'm definitely not an expert council person. Um, but, uh, you know, developers are generally experts in their area. And if you're trying to push um, retail in areas that uh, retail doesn't go or office in areas that office uh, doesn't go, there's no point uh, building them because, A, you're not going to get the finance for them. And, B, even if you get the development through, there's going to be a lot of empty uh, retail um you know, spaces on the ground floor, which is uh, which is worse for yeah. the neighbourhood uh, than it was before. So I think that you know uh, these people are, are pretty educated themselves, and and uh, you all have the you have many meetings along the way um, that uh, you can get your your point across, and they can get their point across, and you generally come to a, a you know a, a mutually beneficial state. How long has uh, zoning taken you on some of your projects uh, these days? Yeah, mixed use is different. I think, um, uh, you know, you're looking at, even if you do everything by code, uh, you're looking at uh, at least a six to nine month process here. Uh, that's based on uh, getting your scheme uh, organised, speaking to the local planning uh, partners, uh, speaking to the local council people, speaking to the local neighbourhood associations, finding out what they want, what they need, showing them uh, what you're trying to do. And then obviously we go through a planning meeting and we go through three council meetings in which we have to uh, you know answer any or all questions um, that go forward so uh, you know to all the landowners out there that uh, you know understand that Nashville is a hot market what I would say is uh, you know you have to understand that execution risk it takes time is, reality, it's gonna, is a reality and these things take time they take time Ben thanks for joining us stay tuned we'll have more on mixed use developments this is the commercial real estate show stay with us the commercial real estate show is brought to you in part by Realnex providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost visit realnex.com that's R-E-A-L-N-E-X Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, your host. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about mixed-use developments. Please welcome my next guest, Kirk Dimitrops. He is a principal with Mid-City Real Estate Partners. Kirk, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Michael, glad to be here. Just we had to drive right down the street. That's no, great. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate it. And, Kirk, you guys are doing a bunch of mixed-use developments, really, uh, for this area of the country. You, you have a lot of different sectors you're involved in, a lot of different uses in these de- developments. Which sector seems to be most challenging right now? I think everybody realizes apartments are hot, but you're, you're doing, you know, what, hospitality, office, retail, everything in these developments. What seems to be the most challenging to get rid yeah. of? Ironically, it's the retail, and I say ironically because the retail is really the driver, the, the, the ground floor, the exciting component of it that drives people there, and therefore very important, but because of the retail tenant really kind of only can do so much sales in a space and so forth that the their rent can be capped and you just can't get more rent so they usually carry more parking higher level storefront so their cost and it doesn't necessarily it's not consistent with the rent we can get but they're absolutely critical to the deal so they're a challenge and then obviously you want to make sure your merchandise it right it's functional um so the, the retail which is the most important in a lot of ways and drives the people can be the most difficult and challenging and are more of these retailers getting uh, more familiar with mixed use are they are they familiar with hey there might be less parking hey you might use less square footage you might pay a higher rent per foot than maybe you did traditionally years ago are they starting to understand that better 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that they're they're seeing the pluses and they kind of remember some of the challenges and some mixed use deals that weren't executed properly. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they are checking that it's going to work and it's in, in the parking works. But I think that the the, the, the popularity of a placemaking, the pedestrian is so powerful that they're, they're really driving to it. And we're even seeing the suburban mixed use develop and restaurateurs that were only in town coming out to wherever they are and being very successful. And that's, that's a recent thing as well. So Yeah, and that's interesting because I think most people think about mixed use being in town, right, being urban, and even your company name, Mid-City, right, in yeah. town. But you guys are doing a very large project that is suburban. So what kind of challenges does that bring to the table? You know, I mean, the one you're mentioning here in Atlanta is an Alpharetta wealthy suburb. Um, you know, I, it's actually, I mean, you say challenges, I don't think because it's suburban is a challenge. I mean, it has a defined office market, daytime population, and all that. So that particular submarket, uh, uh, the land is there, and we're finding that uh, not to have the challenges. Other suburban areas where it might not have an office market, it might be green or new, that, that would be challenging maybe to execute a mixed-use deal. But that's an $80 million project, right? And you think of, uh, if you take Atlanta, for example, our hot office markets are more Buckhead, you know, Midtown, and, and Perimeter, where you're also doing developments. But I don't think most people uh, outside looking in would think that far out of town. So what is that, 15 yeah, 10, 15 miles out, out of town. Of town. Yeah. Uh, but you've got a pretty healthy office market, getting some pretty high rents out there, aren't they, at, at Avalon? Uh, Avalon, yeah. Uh, office rental rates are $30 a foot, which yeah. are 10, 20% above the market, and uh, retail rates are in the 40s and 50s. So, yeah, that uh, Lifestyle Center right down the street from our development has kind of made a new market in that area and kind of confirmed, kind of validated the strength of that market. Yeah. So how are you finding tenant demand right now in, in maybe office or or retail? Uh, uh, you know, what do you see for demand right yeah. now? Um, you know, things are really heating, heating up. I mean, mm-hmm. 2014, I think, was a transition year in this business. After we all, 2010, 11, 12, 13, we saw things stagnate, the economy. Uh, uh, the re- retail is coming back restaurant-driven, um, place-making driven, um, obviously less big box and so forth, but we're seeing a lot of uh, entertainment kind of retail restaurants where people want to come to it. As far as other uses, I mean, apartments have been going strong now for three years. Um, I'm doing several deals with some prominent real estate developers. I mean, the millennials are certainly there, but the baby boomers are there as well. So a lot of things that were just on hold during the recession, this whole mixed-use involvement is, is just kind of, it just got stopped, and now it's evolving. They can sell their home. They can move into these environments. Um, I mean, and we see condominiums really right around the corner the next year. That's interesting. So on the back to the retail tenants for a moment, is it the smaller shop tenants that you're having more of a challenge filling? You know, again, the restaurants are there. The shop tenants are, mm-hmm. we hope, the next leg to kind of come and be in demand, but only they'll only be there if it's a great place. I mean, uh, we're not seeing that small shop prevailing in just an average strip center, but it has to be a dynamic mixed-use deal, and we're seeing that. Uh, a partner of mine doing it, did a deal in Woodstock, mm-hmm. um, has seven restaurants out front, and then the shop space has filled up the last few years and been, become very successful. So it took a while for those to it, fill it, back it, in. It did, yes. Okay. And you mentioned um, selling space rather than leasing it. So how does that impact you as a developer of mixed-use when you're deciding, well, we're going to sell these condos or we're going to rent them or that we're going to sell these office properties to, to users or or we're going to lease them and control the space. How do you make those decisions, and and yeah, how's very, it impacted? Very good question. I mean, we've actually, as a company, um, sold a lot of office space, so we kind of know that dynamic. So going in, you I mean always how you're going to exit a property as a mm-hmm. developer. Are you going to hold? Um, if you do um, hold, when you exit, are you are you prepared to exit? So we, we think about a lot of things. I think we uh, make sure that we can we can break the uses up if we need to. I mean, certainly there's more and more buyers that will buy all the uses, but less. 
um, then, the, then so you know we might have a, a condo the retail so we can sell that separately be able to condo the apartments above um, you know the office building selling those or leasing is really case by case um, typically if we want to control the whole environment we'll, we'll maintain a lease um, and then as far as the residential, um, it's, it's market driven. Uh, we're not adverse to having condos above us versus apartments. It'll just be market driven. And as far as uh, managing the development, we're short on the break here, but you're bringing in partners on some of the uses? Correct. Yeah, we are a, a master developer, mixed use developer, and that means we really can underwrite a deal. Then we usually bring in a, a great residential partner. Um, if we did a hotel, we bring in a hotel partner, and then we own the office and retail, uh, typically bring in a retail specialist to lease and merchandise. Yeah, oh, that's great. You guys are doing some nice developments. And I'm going to get into some, some tips and some other challenges and maybe some tips for, for tenants or maybe tips for, for buyers of these things and then how you're setting these up to exit them, a little bit more about that. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have to take a short break. We'll be back with more on mixed-use developments. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about mixed-use developments. Kirk Drimitrop is here with Mid-City Real Estate Partners. And, Kirk, one of the things that you guys are pretty involved in, and I think is important to, to a lot of listeners around the country, is the zoning and entitlement process. How are you guys finding that today? Are some of these municipalities kind of more open and some of the neighbors more open to mixed-use, or is there still some battles there? Um, you know, I think there's still some battles there. I think a couple of years ago, coming out of the recession, the jurisdictions were hungry for development, and I saw a window open up. And, but I, I still think it's kind of back to some challenges. I, I, they're very open to mixed-use development. I think that's what they want. Um, I, I think the challenge there is uh, sometimes they try to dictate what's within the box. So if you have a four-story mixed-use development, you know, 25% of a retail, and, and those percentages can be difficult. You want the market uh, we believe to lead what's it with, within there and so it can be successful so if you try to uh, force something uh, so much retail on the ground floor for example you know you can run into difficulties of a sustainable project so uh, it's a fair battle out there when it comes to zonings the neighborhoods and uh, you know people's adversity to change but we are seeing that they're going to other places and seeing these uh, dynamic places that they like coming back from traveling to DC and now and even the southeast and saying we, we want something like that so you can take them places and kind of see they can see what they're going to get which all is right helpful. so as part of your mission then when you're in that zoning and entitlement process to say look understand you want 25 percent retail but you also want a viable project you want it to be to work and you want the retailers that are here to do well so you're showing a market information to to help them understand hey if you want it viable this is what we think should be there and are they listening um i, I do it takes it takes time but we are a very open book and we're very educational because at the end of the day uh, as private developers it's it's our money our that we'll put on the line so we we take the time and and we 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 just continue to show them uh, what we believe to be the truth as as developers so we and there i do believe they're listening it is, it is a balance there's no doubt and we hear some tales that uh, it can take 
you know, years upon years in some of these major markets. What do you find in a market like the Southeast uh, for zoning and entitlement process? Yeah, I think for a, particularly a mixed-use deal, you're looking at a, at, at a year base case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a technically a six seven month process, but to get started to apply and then deferrals. I mean, we, we, we count on a year to go ahead and rezone a significant project in this marketplace right now. Okay. And what are some of the other challenges that you might hit today doing a new mixed-use development? Is, is construction costs and labor one of the challenges? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there. I mm-hmm. think uh, um, as the economy's ramped up, I mean, as we hit the middle of the cycle here, construction costs are up 20 25%, sometimes more. Wow. Uh, contractors coming off of a great recession have been slow to ramp up because they're doing well and they've been there before. So, um, yeah, I think that's an issue that's uh, hitting us right now. Uh, residential led the charge with increasing construction costs and multifamily a year ago and commercial. We're pricing things out right now and, and, and the numbers are coming in high. So that, that is a challenge that's in the industry that today. Okay. Could you give us a tip for a tenant maybe that's going into a mixed-use development or or maybe an investor is is buying part of a mixed-use development uh, of how to to be successful? Um, You know, tenants, um, I certainly think if you're going into a mixed-use deal before it's constructed or it's under construction, uh, you really need to take the time to to understand what they're building and, and know if it's going to work. I think I've seen a lot of examples where the finished product, the, the tenant didn't quite uh, get the parking, that convenient parking and so forth. Investors, um, I mean, same thing. I, I think that it's a, it's, it is the future uh, mixed use. So obviously the numbers making sense and so forth. But, uh, you know, the condo docs are very complicated. Um, uh, you have to spend a lot of time with that. I, I've delayed buying properties for months to redo those. And, and yeah. this can be very important. If, if they're wrong, if they're not set up properly, yeah. um, cam charges, for example, a disproportionate sharing of those um, can cause problems. So I think those, those are the little things Excellent. that you need to spend a lot of time on. Very good tip, Kirk. Thanks for joining okay. us today. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on the 42 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, and the show website. Be sure and join us next year, next week, not next year too. Healthcare and healthcare real estate. Until next week, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.